In this episode of Negative Modifier, we'll be playing the game Delta Green. Delta Green, by design, tackles various mature themes that may be uncomfortable or triggering for listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, it's Charlie, Negative Modifier's Game Master. First off, thank you for giving us a listen. As always, expect something horrible to happen to the players. If you're a fan, support us by leaving a review on iTunes. If you hate the show, consider doing it anyway and enjoying the fact that you've inflicted us on someone else. For the most up-to-date news in the podcast, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and with that... Hello and welcome to the Jack Frost post-show. This is a little bit different in that you too can play Jack Frost. You can go out and buy Jack Frost and you can run Jack Frost as a result of that. So if you're thinking about running it or you're in the process of running it right now, maybe don't listen to this episode if this is also your first episode of the Negative Modifier podcast. This is for people that have already kind of listened to all the Jack Frost stuff, expect spoilers and discussion and lots of stuff moving forward, but... Yes! We're to talk about Jack Frost. A little bit strange on this one, because as I said, you can go out and buy the book for this, and you should. It's one of my favorite Delta Green operations out there. It's not a full-blown campaign. Although, when we went into this, I was pretty sure my brain was like, oh, it's four days long, it will take four or five sessions, the entire thing. It'll be like six episodes top. We will have 14 episodes of this up, so... uh, Yeah, I was dead wrong about that, but... Yeah, let's talk about some Jack Frost! And we're gonna start that off with... One of the running jokes, but kind of amongst the cast behind the scenes, was that the cover of Jack Frost gives it away. So, guys, here is the cover of Jack Frost. Ah. Yeah. Okay. That's a dead person. That's a zombie. Um, For those not capable of seeing the image I've just shared on this auditory-based podcast, the uh, cover of Jack Frost shows one of the Wendigo that show up. Yes, it is Wendigo in this. It is zombie creatures. Wendigo and lesser Wendigo are the uh, Creatures that mill about. As someone with a very soft spot for Wendigo, especially in Delta Green, I have a personal fondness for this one. Before we kind of get into the big spoiler parts of this, what were people's theories going into this? I know we kind of behind the scenes talked about, like, okay, is maybe Harris or Farrell a gray? Like, is Delta Green even involved in this? Like, what are people, what were kind of people's crazy conspiracy theories? Because I know you guys had some. The way that I play is that I have really bad ADHD and I just forget a lot of stuff until one time I was just watching an episode of fucking Jojo's Jojo's Bizarre Adventure Stone Ocean and there was a character that used air rods as a stand and I'm just like what the fuck are those and I learned that it was some weird thing about like thermal heat exchange and I was like did I accidentally spoil Jack Frost because of a Jojo's Bizarre Adventure episode nope that was it. That was my only guess into what the fuck was happening because <laughs> this fucking heat exchange shit was that there were rods, there were sky fish just floating in the air, and that was the big bad. <laughs> I was so wrong. I mean, you weren't totally off, but you were nowhere near close either. Obviously, Harrison Farrell wind up dead by the end. I know kind of the running jokes we had was were like which of them were Grace. I know, like I think Alex, you were talking about at one point, like you were pretty convinced that Farrell and or Harris were aliens at one point like we're the big bads behind this and you're not totally wrong I fucking but knew it. no they're, they're, they're just normal humans they are completely normal humans but were they like mind controlled like uh, no okay Brent so spinner was in fucking independence day no they are not like i guess like should we just get full on into this i guess at this point like, should i like, peel back the layers and start like really getting into the spoilery aspects of jack frost yeah yeah let's dig yeah. in all right so jack frost is actually kind of two and a half stories being told simultaneously. And that's part of what I like about it. I think it's also what makes it actually a bit of a challenging operation to run because you have the story of Weather Watcher HQ, and then you have the story of what the hell is going on, and then you kind of have the half story of this kind of mythological thing playing out in the background. Like, you have Jack Frost, the story, as in the weather event, you have the Weather Watcher HQ politics, and then you have the investigation you have. And each one has a set of moving parts. So the Weather Watcher HQ part, it's basically broken down. You have two factions. You have Blue Fly and you have AFOSI. And you guys pretty early on kind of drifted towards the Blue Fly side of things, which means they kind of help you out a little bit more. That's how I kind of chose to play it up some, because you're basically making friends with Feral. Harris is in charge. Harris is a majestic is a majestic kind of 12 representative for all of this thing, which is the evil Delta Green. 
the also extremely well-funded evil Delta Green organization that exists that kind of goes away by the end of the 90s, early 2000s, and that's and that's what we kind of typically play in the kind of later, more current-day event stuff of Delta Green. But and no one's being mind-controlled. They're just terrible people. They're both trying to politic to get their way to go through. Like, Harris is Majestic 12, sees this as super researching opportunity. Majestic 12 is alien-obsessed and thinks all Cthulhu Mythos stuff is just like Area 51 alien things. They're completely wrong, and maybe we'll get into that someday, maybe we won't. But, like, the Greys exist in Delta Green, but they're not what Majestic 12 thinks they are. But Majestic 12 has also met the Greys. And then you have Feral, who views this entire damn thing as the greatest career opportunity ever. And he's trying to dick over Harris to get that to happen and kind of get all the credit for it. And is pissed off the entire time that AFOSI is in charge. So you get stuck in the kind of middle of those politics. And you guys actually navigated that pretty well because Harris can just straight up start killing players at one point. Oh. Yeah, there's a couple points where if you guys had kind of chosen to push certain topics or had not rolled especially well or had not chosen to de-escalate a couple situations, it says in the book, just have Harris start killing people. He is described as a murderous son of a bitch, basically. He has zero problems with just killing basically anyone in camp. You are all expendable. You are all kind of small cogs in the larger, majestic kind of machinery. And so long as he lives, it's good. But also, he's kind of a little bit subconsciously aware he's maybe also expendable, too. Farrell doesn't really know any of this. Bimmel also doesn't know any of this. I think you guys kind of guessed at this. AFOSI at one point murdered Bimmel. Yeah. We, I figured. Garroted. She got what? Garroted, the kind of wire thing that you kind of use to slice people's necks. Oh, okay. I thought you said corroded, and I was just like, did she just melt? <laughs> I mean... Where is her body? Where is her body? Probably in the same place that your two detainees wound up. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it, when they get released, they get killed, because AFOSI is not letting anyone leave. That might be a potential security risk. I kind of figured. Yep. Kind of figured. Yeah. Okay. You go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. Nah, so you got that kind of whole politics thing playing out, and then you have the actual investigation, which, I gotta give you guys points. You got technically the good ending. Like, it is... Uh, a- <laughs> what? I just escaped to which mountain in the baddest way. <laughs> Like, out of the fucking field. What do you mean I got the good ending? The big thing at the end that shows up is a old one called Itlashula, Ithakua, and kind of some of the not-quite-so-well-maintained Call of Cthulhu stuff out there. It is... I'm thinking it's Brother of Cthulhu, but it's on the kind of same power scale and kind of, like, alien level as Cthulhu. It makes Wendigos, it lives in the... I believe it's the South Pole... It is the father of Wendigos, amongst many other things. It is always personified as this kind of massive, hungry monstrosity. It is one of my favorite things in the mythos. If you asked me to write a scenario about, I would never be able to come up with anything, because until I read Jack Frost, I had no idea how to use Ithakua in a modern setting, if that makes any sense. It's a very kind of old-school Arctic expedition thing. Like, it is a giant... Wendigo monster that at certain points in time like manages to force its way into reality and causes the Jack Frost incident to happen like it is it also does that because it can't stand heat and stuff like that and you were actually benefiting from a gift from it the entire time it's why the whole kind of survival mechanic of the extreme cold kicks in he's trying to help you out if Akua wants friends family to hang out with it, it it's it's lonely and that's actually what happens at the end. It just straight up abducts people to hang out with, essentially. They go mad and go crazy and suffer fates worse than death, but it's just there to make friends, technically. So, small point from Editor Charlie. The correct pronunciation by Delta Green Sands is Itlashua. I-T-L-A-S-H-U-A. I have grown up calling Ithakua. It's not the It's not wrong, I guess, technically, but it's also not right by Delta Green standards. I'm going to use the wrong name to set a force of habit a bunch in the rest of this, so apologies for that. I don't want to say they're totally interchangeable because Itlashua is more correct than Ithakua, but yeah, sorry about that. So, question for you. Sure. 
because now I that's actually the other thing I was going to consider, but I decided to aim the gun. If I had tried to speak to the deer to like try killed to open it, it would have killed. Okay, it's a Wendigo. Like basically, kind of the way things work is you have no undead things the first day, the second day after you that you then start having risen dead, which can become Wendigos, the small ones, and then for the big finale, if the Kua wakes up, anything big and it goes full Wendigo out and Wendigo are hungry. So part of Envy, you guys technically got the good ending is by you technically you banished Ithakua. Like you, you you did the chair thing, you did the sacrifice, you successfully stopped him from fully manifesting and kind of contained him some, which means the Wendigo go away after a couple days. If you don't pull that off, Willis Alabama has a ongoing Wendigo problem. Oh. So a chair sacrifice was what needed to happen. If the Kua can be beaten one of two ways, the chair sacrifice, or you can technically kill him, no, not kill him, but banish him with purgatory. It's really goddamn hard to do that, as you guys learned. Like, oh, being yeah. around Ithakua is a problem. Like, we didn't even get to the other stuff, too. Like, just simply being near him, like, you take damage when he first manifests. Like, he, his presence is enough to knock stuff out of the sky and blow up trees and stuff like that. Like, it, the fact that the helicopter ride went as bad as it did as fast as it did was kind of fortuitous, where it's like, okay, cool. Like, we don't have to have the whole, okay, take 1d4 of damage, it's just kind of the air around you explodes because, hey, Ithakua's here. So trying to talk to Ithakua no. wouldn't have done nothing. The book does not go into it, and I think kind of, there's a couple ways of interpreting the Wendigo as... They're accidental to a certain extent, but also they're not part of it. They are just kind of byproducts of the whole thing happening. Man, we should have burned the bodies on day one. So about that, I'm actually not sure you could have. And because of Jack Frost, I had to do some of the weirdest Delta Green research we've ever actually had. I've had to do for negative modifier, which led me down a very bizarre rabbit hole where I had to look up basically the thermal physics of how cremation works. <laughs> and the conclusion I came to is the bodies can't actually be burned. Oh. Because they just absorb the energy. There's never a reaction Ooh. enough for the bodies to be consumed. They would just kind of like, I guess the fuel might go away eventually. They'd, I think they, they're technically like self-extinguishing was the kind of concept that came up with in my brain. But in burning a body, you're basically using heat and you're using energy in the form of heat to kind of break down the body. And the body would just absorb all of that heat, as we kind of talked about every time Schuler kind of investigated the bodies. They just absorbed heat whenever you put heat on them. But yes, there were several hours of me being like, okay, what are the thermo, like, what's the thermophysics of the process of burning a body? And the internet being like, here's a bunch of really useful, talkative uh, mortuary service, like YouTubes that talk about various parts of the process and like get into the weird physics of it. And I'm like, this is fascinating. And I'm on like four watch lists now, aren't I? <laughs> But yeah, the book actually never talks about whether or not the bodies can be burned. I think kind of based on the research I did, I was going to be like, maybe you burned them. Maybe you didn't. Was there any rate of survivability for us? Yeah. Okay. Run. Oh. Oh. Well, here's the thing. I tried to run one time and I ended up in a forest and died. So oh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's quite hard to do that. I guess like... To successfully run, you have to beat these things at athletics tests, and these things have, both the small and the big Wendigos have 90 in athletics, so they're probably gonna catch you. It's a very unlikely that anyone survives the end of this scenario, just based on kind of, for how not assuming they are, the Wendigo and Delta Green are surprisingly dangerous, like... They are capable of doing 1d10 or 1d8 damage an attack, and they have 25 health, the big ones, and take half damage, and then on top of that have armor, and they can stun lock you constantly. Oh. And they are disturbingly mobile, and also don't show up on thermal sensors, because they're frozen. This really was just the weirdest game of non-survival survival that I had to rack my brain through to kind of just try to puzzle solve, but like none yeah. of these... None of the puzzles were really working. Like the entire town of Willis, 
there's a portion of it that I really was trying to think, like, what am I supposed to get from this? Like, what am I super looking for? How am I piecing piecing these things together? So, and you guys got almost everything you can get out of Willis, and I guess kind of the one, I think, kind of big hint that about what's going on that you guys did not get, and it's, I think it's obvious, but kind of the more I've thought about it, the more we play it through, the more I'm like, actually, you kind of have to have a certain mindset going on for this. There are some really good handouts for this, but there is just one that's basically straight up called The Legend of the Wendigo. That if you guys had started kind of researching like the Native American presence in town. So I, let's actually talk about that for a second. You guys initially got like ahead of what the pacing the book lays out for events is, and then you got behind it somehow. Which I thought was kind of fascinating to see because you guys found the shrine early and then technically had some time, but then you guys started going down some other paths with it, and you got some stuff out of it, but like, you never really kind of dipped your toe into, hey, what about the weird supernatural aspects of this? Like, what about the weird? I guess what was super funny is that every single time we try to dip down to the weird, we just rationalized our way back into a side. No, yeah, and I think actually that's, that's a credit to you guys, because you're playing these characters that like, when we play Delta Green Agents, there's a certain amount of like flexible minds, gentlemen, flexible minds. Expect the weird. You're all scientists that know no aliens are real. The supernatural's not real. That's just stupid. But yeah, the, the handout I was I was I was waiting the entire time to give you guys is called Wendigo Legends. And it just spells out exactly what's going on. It's like, yeah, it's Wendigo. Huh. It's Wendigo. I was wondering for a while if it was when to go, especially since we started not feeling the cold or anything like that. But what really tipped me off, it was when to go was when dead things started jumping at us. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I thought it was just uh, good old fashioned zombies. Boy, was I mistaken. Well, I think that's that's part of what I like about Jack Frost is you don't have to know anything about what the things are for the story to work. Like, because it can just be a good old fashioned zombie story. With super zombies and then this giant zombie thing that shows up and abducts people or causes havoc or causes mass sand damage. And yeah, I think it's one of those ones where you never have to know what any of the things are for it to be appropriately terrifying and problematic the entire way through, if that makes any sense. Mm, mm. Yeah, like I think it's one of the operations that does the best job of here's what real life Delta Green operations would be. It'd be a bunch of scientists, some military people, and probably some secret agents being like, where are all these risen dead coming from? And U.S. players are lucky enough to sit there and be like, yes, where are these risen dead coming from? I love this kind of comeback for a man in a thorpe, just to rise back from the dead and... The interesting callback. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Just be like, hey, you try to cover up my death and my unfortunate end. Let me rip you a new one. And to be clear, Schuler wasn't trying to cover up that death. He was just trying to protect Dempsey from from seeing that after the breakdown she had, or Merlo after the breakdown she had. It's so weird to think about where this operation starts and where it ends, because when it starts off, it's like, okay, one character tries to eat a corpse in the morgue, and there's some strange readings of like the electromagnet variety, and at the end it's, well, we're being overrun by Risen Dead, and if the Kua's here and Wendigo are here and Valhalla waits, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking, I guess. So there, what's it called? I'm just trying to think of like just the chain of events. Did we have to take the chair out of the, out of the lake? I feel like it was a good thing. We took the chair out of the lake and moved it. Cause then we would have to deal with if the Kua like immediately. Cause it spawns in the lake. Yeah. So, moving the chair gets you access to a couple things that leaving it in place does not. So, the chair is actually fascinating because so long as a character is in the chair up until if the Kua manifests, the character's actually invincible. Like, if your character gets trapped in it underwater, they can't drown. They get stuck at 1 HP forever, essentially. Like, the chair will keep you alive. Like, when you were on the chair taking damage when they were busy doing the examinations... I can't drop you below 1 HP. Noticing you can't die as a sand damage at that point, but up until the manifestation, the chair will keep you alive for better or worse type of thing. So, you say they get stuck at 1 HP, but does that mean you still take, like, the physical 
effects of something. So, for example, like if someone lobs off a chunk of your arm, is that chunk of flesh gone, but you still just have one HP kind of thing? Book does not cover that, but yeah, that's how I would interpret it. Like the chair has one purpose and one purpose alone. Keep the sacrifice alive so it can use that person's soul, spirit, whatever the right phrase is, to contain and then banish Ithakua. Gotcha. The origin of the chair is for is yeah. What was so the origin of the chair was created like the chair was created by the people that I'm having visions about or we were having visions about. So I'm trying to get the exact name of them. So this one dovetails actually, I think, nicely with a few other um, Delta Green operations that deal with these strange kind of 10 foot tall technically people. I'm trying to get the exact name of them. Give me a second. But yes, they are a persistent thing. They are born of some 90s good old fashioned kind of sci-fi conspiracy theory stuff about kind of some ancient humans that weren't quite human and kind of like were an offshoot of Native Americans and other cultures that I think most of them kind of took to being underground. They're still technically around in Delta Green. They're just not very common. Okay. They're capable of shape-shifting and they make Shoggoths and stuff like that occasionally too. I'm thinking I'm trying to blank on the exact one that they are most prevalent in, but it's the same people if I'm remembering correctly. But yeah, they're kind of like the ancient humans, the pre-humans. Are they the are we talking about the snake people? No, we're not talking about snake people. We're talking like on the exact name. They are the night tribe, if that helps at all. Like the Native American aspects for this that you can kind of find out is that like, yeah, there was this tribe in the area. I guess like let's talk about that for a quick second. Wendigo traditionally come from Native American folklore. Like they are I find one of the more fascinating kind of cryptos or kind of mythological creatures out there because they're born of extreme selfishness. They're what happens if you know their person. I think this kind of has reverberations of that because, hey, one of the characters tries to eat a body in the morgue and stuff like that. And this thing's all about hunger and starvation once kind of things start getting weird. Could Merlot have turned like real early? If she got bit, yes. But so that's the thing. I think kind of you guys did a great job of playing along with this, too. A lot of stuff happens and has no more consequence than a couple times it becomes a thing. Like, the only real consequence to Merlot eating a chunk of Amanda Thorpe is the fact that, like, hey, she ate a chunk of Amanda Thorpe, and that later on, the whole compulsion with the chair thing happens. Oh, interesting. But I thought... Cons- That's more or less it. Oh, but... Oh, wait, but... No, yeah, because they weren't actually Wendigos. They were just the zombie, like, lesser Wendigos, right? Yeah. Okay. Huh. Oh, and I guess if you're all curious, the fish that were trying to chew through your suit, those were risen dead. Oh. Every single animal that comes back after the second manifestation is risen dead. Okay. They all can technically become Wendigos if they get a bite of human flesh. But they're limited by kind of the limitations of what they had previously. So like when that squirrel chipmunk thing tried to attack you, if it had gotten a chunk of you, it could have come back as something much more dangerous. Oh, so when the deer mauled and gored Merlot, it turned and oh, got... Oh, it was already a Wendigo. That oh, thing was already a Wendigo, Wendigo from okay. the start, yeah. Okay, I was going to say, it's like, so <laughs> there was just absolutely no fucking way that Luckman was getting out of there. I mean, running is always an option, but yes, the chances of you getting away from these things once they kind of get you are quite low. I mean, I guess I tried to run, but it was a little too late. No, nah, and if... Schuler had survived, kind of, if, if, if Schuler had successfully run away from the Wendigo that rips into the trailer, there was another Wendigo, the one that was tracking him earlier when he went off to stash the bodies, on the roof of the trailer waiting for him. I'm kind of glad Schuler died. It's a very fitting end for him. Shall we talk about Schuler's side mission? Yeah, yeah. Let's, yeah let's, let's do it. What the fuck, man? <laughs> so, Schuler, you know, is all about the research and whatnot, but... A few of Schuler's friends stepped on some toes a couple of years back, and they were they were killed. Basically, they disappeared, or rather, they died in suspicious car accidents. But they were killed. So, an unknown party made an offer to Schuler that if he could smuggle an extraterrestrial entity or something interesting to these people alive, they would give him a million bucks. Dead, they would give him five hundred thousand. So. I had double motive stashing the bodies in Willis. I had planned to, when everything was at the height, 
take a truck, go to Willis, grab one of the bodies and go to the meetup point. But everything kicked off very quickly, so I never got to do that. But the plan was laid. So you got guesses as who you were going to be meeting up with? Not a clue. Pine. I'm assuming it's Pine. No. Oh. I guess kind of. Part of why we're playing Jack Frost right now between our two big Delta Green seasons is... This is indirectly a Nyra Lethrotep story. Oh. Schuler has a deal with one of the many avatars indirectly of our dear friend Nyra Lethrotep. <laughs> did you pick Schuler or did you just get assigned Schuler? I was assigned sh- Schuler. Okay. I was going to say, it's like, how, how fucking just, what a quinky dink. <laughs> yeah, he was given to me. Uh, I was glad to play him, though. Yeah, I think, like, we have three people for this. There's four kind of core researchers you can play with. I think that it says Merlot and Dempsey are the two mandatory ones. I think Schuler is a... Of the two kind of other, like, main ones, I think Schuler's the most interesting because it has the extra motive going on with it. So when you guys are picking characters, I'm like, okay, we have to have these two, and I'm a push for Schuler because I think the Schuler backstory is really cool. So why is Dempsey and Merlot essential people? They have the skills you need to get through a bunch of it, I guess is the way of thinking of it. Yeah, you've got all the the science skills, remember, the acoustics Ah, and whatnot. As useful as the medical stuff is, that stuff I can pawn off to an NPC or kind of be like, yeah, your coroner learns some of this stuff, or just like, it's useful to know, but it doesn't actually drive any of the stuff along. Think about kind of trying to figure out all of the science-y stuff involving the anomaly without Merlot and Dempsey. See, here's the thing. I completely, or I totally felt, or totally thought I was, like, being a little useless with how I wasn't really able to do anything outside of science, so I guess, cool. No, it's also one of those ones where Dempsey comes into, kind of, kind of starts to shine when the throne shows up, in my perspective. Oh, so just, like, I, I died right before I got yep. useful. <laughs> As is Delta Green. But yeah, I'll think about also, like, you were there for, like, I think about trying to interpret some of the stuff you found, like some of the roles you had to go through without all the kind of various electrical physics and kind of laser physics stuff that Mm. Dempsey Mm. has. Like, she's very integral to kind of figuring out all the readings and understanding them and being like, man, there's this weird energy anomaly above the lake. That's weird, right? That makes sense. Yeah. Man, I really didn't want to put someone on that chair, but... Are you sure? Or the, well, the way that you would, the, the gusto that you had. <laughs> Look, playing Delta Green, I I knew the moment you attached to that chair that that had to be part of the solution. I was like, well, it does weird shit. It, it makes you part of the chair. That's going to be part of the solution. I didn't know it was the solution, but I figured we'd need something with that to, to deal with the, the anomaly. I honestly thought that you were going to pick, or... To Alex, I totally thought that you were going to dip. I really actually thought that you were going to dip. Oh, that's I did why, too, honestly. That's why I thought when you were like, when you were like, oh, you saw me leave. I'm like, I never said I left. I, 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 I stopped and I was like looking both ways, but I never left. And no, I, I mean, the survival is one thing, but I also before you did ask me, hey, like, should I do this? And it's like. Well, you put your trust in me. Like, there's no way I can abandon you now when you literally, like, ask me, like, should I do this? And, like, kind of thing. Like, I, no, the guilt would have killed me. Plus, despite the fact that you had no bond towards me, you were actually, like, a 13 <laughs> bond with my character. I think it's actually one of the cool things about the game, too. It's one of the rare ones that you start off with some essentially Delta Green bonds with a couple of the characters. I don't think mine was a Delta Green bond. No, no, it's not a Delta Green, but you're bonded to another player character. I think one of Schuler's is another one of the player characters possible. Like yeah, one of the NPCs who did not wind up using. Yep, Siddiqui, who Siddiqui is useful if you want to get answers about the cultural stuff. She is the cultural PC there. If you'd had her, you could have picked up that like, yeah, actually, there's a bunch of carvings all across the outside of this thing that are faint, but like they're reminiscent of these specific cultures. But to your untrained luddite eyes it's like yeah it's some weird scratches on the outside of this chair whatever yeah yeah because i had well let's see i was i had bonds with bimmel luckman and my character's spouse and kids that's it so like well, there's yeah, no way of bonds was, those are bonds those are just general bonds they're not delta green bonds as far as i can tell 
and they're up there because my Luckman bond is 13. Which no, means, no, yeah, they're not. Yeah. Yeah. My bond with you is as close as it is with my spouse and kids. And you had no <laughs> bond towards me, you jerk. <laughs> oh, that's how the crumbles. When you picked Luckman, I was so excited for that, too, because I think Luckman changes the scenario kind of in some interesting ways because it opens like you guys were already drifting in the hey, blue flies kind of friendly towards you. That's the weirdest thing. The notes I had for that were basically kind of me keeping track of like what side you were siding with and also kind of how you'd taken certain decisions. And yeah, there was a period of time when you actually were friendlier with AFOSI because you were just doing your goddamn job and like everyone's like, fuck Harrison. Rapidly, it was like, nah. We're going to side with Blue Fly, and then Captain Luckpin joins. It's like, okay, yeah, you have the fucking Blue Fly skeleton key now, because he just is a Blue Fly person. Yeah. I was going to say, there was a point where Merlot, Schuler, and I think Dempsey almost jumped Harris and killed yeah. him. What What would the result of that have been if we had killed him? I mean, oh, if our agents would put you down. Yeah. Like, the reality, too, is like the chances of all three of you beating Harris possible, but low. He is a monster. Well, I had a gun at that point. I had hidden away. Yes. So, and I know we don't have a whole lot of health, so it could have come down pretty quick that we might have killed him. I guess, what would our backup characters have been? Or would that have just been the end of the op? So the backup characters were, and I got, let's, what were the backup characters? The backup characters, because of how we set this up, were... It could have been Siddiqui, who is there for all of that, and she's kind of the anthropologist of a bunch of this stuff. I like her a lot. I totally get why you guys picked the ones you did, though, too. And then also, you had the extra Blue Fly soldiers, so we had Luckman and uh, Master Sergeant Jacob Hardy in reserve as your backup characters. So I was going to burn through the kind of, like, there's, so there's six, hey, these are the main player character ones, and if we burn through all those, I was going to start having you guys start playing as your more generic blue fly soldiers at that point. I gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And at that point, it fundamentally changes too, because you're involved basically with the assault at the lake, and it's not so... The chances of your blue fly soldiers figuring out that, hey, there has to be a sacrifice are possible, but I think it becomes much more of a... It becomes almost a survival campaign hard at that point, because it's, okay, shit goes crazy, the lake happens... Were you unlucky enough to be at the lake close enough to have some of the ill effects of that happen? What do you do? You probably try and extract, and it becomes you running through the snowy woods as Wendigo pursue you. Yeah, I think like one of the things that sold me the most about Jack Frost was actually Shane Ivey's Twitter when he was busy playtesting, and he just put up a thing where it's like, the most recent Jack Frost playtest has ended with a Wendigo with a zombie deer ripping a soldier in half in the middle of the woods as he ran from as he ran to kind of a checkpoint, and I'm like, okay, what the hell is Jack Frost, and when do I, when can I play it? <laughs> what is this operation? <laughs> yeah, I think most Jack Frost, your mods may vary depending on your handler and kind of what happens, but I think most Jack Frost operations are going to end with some form of a TPK <laughs> by design. It's, it's majestic. Fuck them, they're assholes. They're the worst people you'll ever meet. I agree. Fuck majestic. Yeah. Well, that was my first experience with Majestic, I guess, or direct experience with Majestic. Isn't it great having all that money and resources and having none of it fucking matter? <laughs> you have all that money and resources, but you have to deal with people like Harris. Yeah. Good God. The true monster, Harris and his bureaucracy. So I should actually talk about that for a second. So I think you guys started picking up on this at the end, but you guys had a habit of discussing stuff where Harris's basically spies on you could totally keep tabs on it where it's like yeah no they're just there in the room with you and they're like yeah we're not gonna make a big deal of listening in but that's why harris always knew what was going on well there was <laughs> kept le- yeah there was one point where we had a private conversation with Farrell that he he overheard how did we do that it basically boils down to any communication of any kind that happens in the base there's a decent chance that harris winds up hearing about it like Basically, you have Farrell, whose whole thing is, I want to turn this into a big career-defining moment. And then you have Harris, who is a paranoid to the point where he's, like, wiretapped every single thing in the base possible. He's monitoring every phone call that happens, every radio transmission, like, the whole, like, my job is to kind of control the information that comes out of this. Pretty high. And he just also has AFOSI spies all over the place. Also, Farrell hates Fer- Harris, but also 
he's technically in charge and purgatory is weird. Because <laughs> technically it's Harris, it's technically Farrell's guys that have purgatory there and have the training in it. Harris is just telling them to use it. Like Farrell's weird. He doesn't like purgatory, but also he kind of is like, yeah, I'm fine with it. They also get more crazy as the ops go on. Like they are both everyone suffers from diminishing sanity as kind of the hours tick on throughout the operation. That makes mm. sense. Yeah. That you got some fun notes of basically how to play them and Harris is fascinating because he goes from like calculating and murderous to erratic and murderous. <laughs> like I guess I kind of like behind the hood stuff. If Luckman is good enough to get into one of the helicopters, Harris tries to murder Luckman in the air in the helicopter as you go to fight on Mythicua. What the fuck? That's how fucking crazy Harris gets. Jesus. Yeah, I got that nap you guys took is one of the most defining things in the book where it's like, yeah, kill Bimmel at that point. Have Harris go a little bit off the rails and start like weeding out dissenters and people he thinks are going to be problem. Really get into Harris as a bad man who does bad things. Is any questions about some stuff we kind of played through or kind of could, uh, could stuff have gone differently? Uh, no, you answered my one question that I had in particular about like if I was going to try to talk to the the deer, but yeah. yeah, that ain't it. What would have happened if we didn't banish or the purgatory failed? Both of them failed. So, yeah, that's, I hinted at this happening, actually. So the Wendigo were capable of a surprising amount of jumping. Like you basically got air tackled by a Wendigo at the end of the helicopter and they can just do that. They like as long as you can get low enough, they can get at you pretty quickly and they hit. So eventually Ithaca goes away. He just re- kind of wreaks more havoc. If you don't banish him, the Wendigo are permanent uh-huh. and become a problem. Mm. That was, I guess I kind of talking about the little epilogue thing I threw at the end there. That's not part of the book. It, the book kind of talks about like if Schuler survives, maybe he becomes a Delta Green target. It's like, <laughs> yeah, he would be a Delta Green target. Oh, absolutely. No, I think it's like it's at the end, basically, it was me kind of explaining, okay, it's like, yeah, you guys, despite the fact that you died, you technically got the good ending. Yes, you died, but of the variety of endings possible, that's technically the best. Like, the Wendigo aren't running around, like, it's self-contained at that point. It's like, yeah, that was fucking weird, and Delta Green's like, yeah, it was weird, stop asking questions. So, we talked about Schuler's like, side mission, but part of Su- I'm going to tell you guys Schuler's motivation, so you can get an idea of how I was playing him. And he's got some interesting ones. There's live long enough to see your discoveries go public. That's pretty self-explanatory. Then there's prove yourself the smartest. So he's kind of a narcissist. Another is it's not my fault. Another is look out for your fellow researchers. And the last one is get rich. So he's a bit of a character. Yeah. After playing. Oh, God. God, what was her name? After playing Florence, I thought it'd be kind of interesting for Dylan to play through a same job, totally different mindset. <laughs> I'm <laughs> just, why I kind of pushed him that way. Yeah, Schuler's just a bad person. <laughs> You're all kind of bad people, honestly. Like Dempsey is the closest one to not being a bad person because she's not busy like developing doomsday weapons. Yeah, that was a surprise to me hearing that. Uh, Merlot helped develop Purgatory. That was yeah, crazy. Yeah. yeah, not helped develop. I think my, I was the lead scientist on that yeah. project, actually. Yeah, that's crazy. Heavily yeah. involved. Heavily involved. That's why as soon as I heard Purgatory, I was like, wait, fuck? What is that doing here? Which is kind of funny, too, given my character's background. Because I, I believe my character escaped... Hold on, I'm trying to remember exactly... My character ran away from Argentina, yeah, specifically because of political violence from the regimes there, only to go work for the government somewhere else and build them a super weapon. Oh, yeah, Merlo yeah. has seen some stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Merlo has seen some shit. Yeah. Her family literally fled in the late 1970s to political violence in the, I guess, what's called the Dirty War in Argentina. Hmm. So, yeah. yes. <laughs> Ironically, Jad got the two good characters in the entire game. Good as in not bad people, I guess. It was very weird to play the two good characters in the game, to be quite honest. Not realizing the good characters either. I was so confused. Well, yeah, I was a little, like, hazy on Huffman's uh, motivations initially, because I thought there was, like, an animosity seeing as how he was a blue fly soldier. But still, like, trying to figure out how in the world to kind of incorporate the 
friendship with Merlo, especially because she wasn't one of my bonds. And so I was like, is it like, eh? So, but after kind of rereading it, which was kind of interesting, especially because I didn't have like the bios in front of me all too much. Yeah, that was that was a little rough, but I feel like it kind of pulled through at the end. Nonetheless, it was a little refreshing to kind of just be like, let's let's just kind of get through some stuff. Let's let's jog about it. <laughs> Who knew all this exercise and healthy living would be what got you killed? Well, no, nah, it, it's actually kind of fascinating because I think me and Dylan have the context of in the larger kind of Delta Green mythology. Blue fly soldiers are fucking terrifying. Like they're kind Dude. of a threat that exists. Yes. I was looking over Staff Sergeant Hayden Wells' stats. Kind of fucking yoked. Yeah. Yeah, they are kind of this, like, specter in the background, along with something called NRO Delta, where they just kind of swoop in and fuck up Delta Green operations hard on you. Like, they are. And I part of why I like Jack Frost is you get to have them, and it's like, oh, if we could play Blue Fly, it'd be so much easier. No, it wouldn't. Shut up. <laughs> when to go or when to go. Yeah. At the yeah. end of the day, we're still mooks. Yep. Yeah. Like, Hayden Wells' stats kind of remind me a little bit of Foxtrot stats, almost. Yeah, they're operators, yeah. Yeah. Oh, operators. That was... I, I, I'm i intrigued to play an operator next uh, next season. But I'm going to be an operator that drives, so maybe I won't be good at fighting. Yeah. <laughs> I promise this, you will not get purgatory. Who needs purgatory when you have a truck? True. <laughs> I kind of wish you guys had gotten to shoot Purgatory. It's got a sixty percent lethality. Oh, oh it's God. ridiculous! Oh, it's a super weapon. Yeah, it's it hits. Hold on, let me. Well, we I go. have like melted in response. It's got some side effects. Yeah, it, it, hold on, I can tell you because I have it. In, technically, it's part of my character sheet for Hayden Wells. Man, I bet we die if we if we fire. No, no, it is possible to successfully use Purgatory without dying. And I guess that's the thing too. If you Use Purgatory to banish the Kua, you kind of get the good and the bad ending, because he goes away, but I think the, at least the way I kind of read the book, the Wendigo are still permanent, so it's like, eh, he's gone, but he goes away eventually anyway. Yeah, so Purgatory device is 80%, including a plus 20% for an area attack, 30% lethality. Reduced to 20% at long range or 10% at extreme range. Uh, the kill radius is 10 meters and the base range of it is 200 meters. Like, it's it's a beefy weapon. It's great. I'm surprised it works. It actually works pretty well. The issue is you have to hit very specifically for Thakua to care about it at all. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta, I imagine you have to hit the lethality. Yeah, it's not just hitting lethality, it's like big lethality. Yeah. Fun little fact about it, though, when you roll the stat for it, you have to roll int. Oh, that's interesting. The yeah. thinking man's weapon. It's a thinking man weapon. So you you have to roll int for it. Well, you'd literally be better off having one of the researchers up there firing it for you if they had the Absolutely. Brain. Yep. Yeah, and for it to work, you have to crit on the uh, lethality for it. So you have to get that, like, 3311. Oh, you, you have to get the... Oh, that's rough. Yep. So basically, the stars have to align. Yeah, it's. Is it possible to kill a Thakua with the uh, Purgatory? Yes. Is it likely? No. Is a Wendigo or the big man himself going to smack you out of the air first? Probably. At least my reading of the book is once again, it's like Delta Green's not a game about guns. So much that we're going to give you a super weapon and then make it basically useless. I guess you could kill a bunch of Wendigo if you survive, though, or you could use it to mop up a bunch of Wendigo. It does hit quite nicely. Any other questions? I, I guess we're probably like, I think probably like my running joke for this is we play this on roll twenty, and the landing page for this had a fucking Jack Frost from Santa Claus three on it <laughs> because I have jokes, and I'm like, yeah, that's kind of a Wendigo looking thing. We actually got asked this question a couple times. This is not the Wendigo story. This is a Wendigo story. A couple no, clarification yeah, yeah. questions we got asked here. Yeah. The Wendigo story, indeed. Man. Any other questions? Again, it's kind of weird talking about this because you all can just go and read Jack Frost for yourself and run this, and if you're looking for kind of a fun mini-campaign, potentially, for Delta Green, I can't recommend Jack Frost enough. It's one of my favorite things out there for it. I think it's... Oh, I'm picking this up. 
is a fun 100-page operation. It's got some great detail on it. There is, from a handler standpoint, except for, okay, what are the thermodynamics of burning a body, which is just such a me thing to get hung up on. It is... I never found myself kind of with questions I didn't have answered by the book in some way or kind of with enough information to be like, actually, yeah, I can intuit off of that or kind of make my own judgment call of how this applies. It's, I will admit that this is probably one of the more complicated Delta Green operations because you have a timetable you have to keep track of. You have to keep track of the Blue Fly versus AFOSI factions. So that's actually kind of an interesting thing. I'm not sure, I think you guys picked up on this pretty quickly that like every time you did something, a clock moved forward. Basically, every day was a clock ticking down to hey, the event's about to happen again, and that resets some stuff, and this thing is a goddamn Sandy burner, as I think everyone complained about at least once. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love the death spiral. Get to see that in fast-forward play out. What were people's final sands out of curiosity? 46 for Schuler, and Daniels was 50. Hayden was at 8, and Merlot was actually, I think, at 32. Yeah, 32. I honestly wanted to see you hit like just zero sand. I wanted to see. Oh, you I love the zero sand moment. It's beautiful. It's so much worse than a character dying because then that character becomes an NPC and I get to do terrible things with them. That was a real possibility with that D100 roll. We just yeah. got very lucky. You, you don't get to have a great old one or an old one or kind of one of the big kind of mythical things in the mythos show up. And, like, not be the... Yeah, it's the end of the scenario, basically, but also, like, it's... I think there's a really good job of kind of driving home the idea of they are super important, but they're not the problem. Yeah, looking at it will make you go crazy. It's all the goddamn Wendigo running around that are the problem, though. I mean, I want to see a scene play out where somebody gets hit with a D100 sand loss and they just roll a 1. I'm sure it happens. I just want to know how you explain that. Oh, I mean, I rolled a 10 of all yeah, the things. Pretty I, close. That was pretty, that yeah. was pretty uh, light. Ocampo's sanity points, I actually did not break my breaking point. I was sitting around 43. Dempsey, I've broken a couple breaking points, and that was at 32. Jonathan Lucky Luckman actually was pretty all right with 50 sand. I mean, having another character step in does help with the sanity burning a little bit. Oh, yeah. Any more questions? Or are we good to close this out? I don't think I have anything else in mind, other than yeah. the pine showing up thing was kind of neat. Yeah, that that's obviously a me thing or a negative modifier thing. It's also worth copping to this. The baby, that was a me thing to a certain extent. Oh. The book talks about like, hey, that baby should totally probably come back. I definitely had the baby wake up a little bit, a little bit early just to kind of mess with you guys a little bit. And I think having hints at something's going to happen with Risen Dead a little bit earlier on. Helps add to the paranoia of it some. It was nice. Yeah. And I got to say chest burster. <laughs> I never turned a chance to say that. Yeah, the definitely was a very interesting kind of oh shit moment. The fact that like the follow up, I'm, I'm still so taken by the follow ups for or just the endings for everybody. Like, I personally thought that my death was pretty fucking cool just to be abducted but be able to like have the capabilities of like ending it before you really that was really you really go save yourself from a fate worse than death Mm -hmm. what you don't want to be the friends of a great old one come on it's the worst that could happen (laughs) he's called the father of the ice that burns what could it what's what's bad about being friends with that sounds metal as fuck come on yeah yeah can i just say the description of like the catching fire and all that stuff as you were taking off to the sky i was just like in my mind i was like rocket man (laughs) (laughs) all that played in my head and Uh. i I didn't want to ruin the intensity of the moment so in my head i'm just like rocket man honestly first my my thoughts were oh cool escape to which mountain i remember that disney channel movie and then don't stop me now started playing (laughs) oh that's a good one too I also was in private group chat, just doing my yeah, the, the, notes with as my... moments happen. The, I, I think probably the best joke that came out of today was uh, Jad was the Yamcha of this operation. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, oh no. Like, you know what, though? I was right. <laughs> I was technically right. your character lived the longest. The second one. 
I mean, also, as far as deaths go, you did not get, like, eaten or disemboweled, so... Winning? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, as always, we are Negative Modifier. My name's Charlie. I've been your Game Master, handler through all of this, but more importantly, the rest of the Negative Modifier crew. My name is Jad. You can find me on any kind of social media at Jadicus Finch, J-A-D-D-I-C-U-S-F-I-N-C-H. Instagram is my primary social media. Secondary is Twitter, but who knows how long that ship yeah. is going to continue sinking. <laughs> As of recording this, hang out with us on Discord. We're there more. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Check out the Negative Modifier Discord. We also have a Patreon. That we do. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that in a minute or two. I am uh, Alex. My online persona slash handle is Mave Online, which also happens to be my handles for pretty much everything. And I am Dylan. You can find me on Twitter. I mean, I don't really post there all that much. I don't really post on social media, but it's at Dylan, D-Y-L-A-N, one eight nine eight. I believe it is. Let me double check. Dylan's the smartest of us all on this topic. He's not online. I wish that's, to be unconnected. That's the play. <laughs> I wish to be untethered. <laughs> is that Dylan, one eight nine eight? And that is me. Hi. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, consider supporting us on Patreon. We also have a Ko-Fi, but also your listenership is more than enough for us. It's awesome seeing all the comments we got on this stuff. It's awesome seeing the feedback. We got the impression you all seem to really enjoy being along for the ride on this one. We hope you enjoyed your time with Jack Frost. We hope you'll continue to be a listener. We have more stuff planned in the future. And again, as always, thank you for listening. If you made it this far in the post-show, thank you for making it this far. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, review the show on whatever your preferred platform is, if, if you have the time to. And yeah, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Negative Modifiers Playthrough of Jack Frost by Shane Ivey, published by Arc Dream Publishing. We do hope you enjoyed our time in Willis, Alabama. If you'd like to support the show, please consider leaving us a review on your listening platform of choice. If you feel so inclined, you can also become a patron over on our Patreon. You can also join our Discord server or follow the show on your preferred social media platform. As always, your listenership is more than enough, and we do hope you enjoy whatever we wind up playing next. Next.